Hello and welcome to this brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. You can tell I haven't been around in a while. I've forgotten how to pronounce the word. <laughs> Tonight, we have for you intrigue, deception, spycraft, and espionage. <laughs> Sounds like Tolkien, right? That's right. That's right. We're bringing, so yeah, so we're, we're bringing you the Council of Estelad. So in fact, all those things will be true. Not usually associated with Tolkien. Uh, but um, uh, part of the whole point of this endeavor is to let all you people out there know that uh, there's more to Tolkien than just elves and dwarves. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Very good. And uh, I, I'm back after a, a, a you know COVID vaccine induced um, several absences in a row. I feel like, um, but I'm feeling good. I'm I'm I've hit like my full uh, or maximum. Um, uh, maximum protection now so you know everything's good uh and so i'm glad to be here and uh and tonight as a part of this uh the 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 spycraft episode i'm joined as always by corey olson the tolkien professor and tonight we're joined by marie prosser one of our uh head writers how are you marie i'm well thank you for having me on good Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Today we, we, this is an episode, uh, that I've been really looking forward to getting to because, um, uh, this is, you know, one of the, one of the, a, a really dramatic, like a really dramatic moment that doesn't involve combat, you know, or action like that, um, is this council and especially the whole substitution of the fake Amlach, uh, which is a, a really neat kind of moment. And so this has been uh, something that I've been really looking forward to. Um, and I've been loving how we've been kind of building up um, uh, on that. <laughs> Nick says somehow we wound up sneaking in some combat. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I'm not saying it, it need to be anti-combat. I'm just saying it's, 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 it's a, it's a very interesting moment. Uh, so, uh, and it, there's, it's, 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 it's funny because there are so many things, um, you know, when I got to, you know, when I was reading through the outline that you guys made and we were kind of thinking about what to do here, it was funny because as you know, that, moment in the Silmarillion kind of stands out for being a little unusual, right? Like this is not the way things usually, like we don't see many examples of this kind of thing. And yet when we came to this point, um, it would, it seems so obvious how to handle it. Right. I mean, it just seemed like I could, so many things that we've done have just like set this up really perfectly. And I think it's, 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 you know, one of those scenes that's been, I think kind of influencing us from afar in some sense, you know, as we've been trying you know, one of the big questions um, that we've been, you know, sort of working on for a long time has been Sauron. You know, what's what exactly is Sauron up to? We get a few places, you know, where he's mentioned in the Silmarillion text, but, um, you know, we always knew that Sauron was going to be one of our, you know, he's like the sort of the stealth, uh, you know, main character of the entire <laughs> Silmarillion film project, right? Um, and so, you know, really following Sauron more and uh, really being able to use Sauron's uh, character and position as a way to really kind of uh, explore and develop the progression of Morgoth's character and, and sort of how things go here and looking at the, the long arc. Um, I was about to go do like this for the arc of Sauron's character, but it's really the arc like this of Sauron's character. Um, not necessarily a straight diagonal line down, but trending downward pretty much from 
from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Right. It does start to asymptote a little at the end there. Um, but uh, but anyway, like to you know to sort of really. Um, I mean, with there's nobody whose character we get to play a longer game than Sauron's, right? So, um, uh, so of course, in the in the course of working out Sauron's role, you know, we've I find that we have like perfectly set up this moment and made it a very natural and it's like a kind of thing we would have egregiously added if it hadn't been in the text in the first place. (laughs) So uh, anyway, um, but. We will get to that in more detail soon. First, uh, just a quick, um, uh, a couple quick announcements. First, reminder, Mythmoot 8 is coming up June 24th to 27th. Uh, it is going to be a hybrid event. We're going to be live in Leesburg, Virginia, and also online. Um, you can sign up for all versions of that uh, at signumuniversity.org slash Mythmoot. Uh, the schedule should be coming out soon, so that's uh, uh, that's something that uh, I'm, I'm excited to see released. Of course, we have our Signum Academy clubs are continuing. Um, we've got our book club and our writing, creative writing clubs and uh, conversation club and translation clubs. Um, uh, my own son is taking our old English translation club right now and he's been reading Cadman's hymn and it's been really fun. Uh, so, uh, uh, that's been, that's been, it's his first, uh, his, fir- his first experience of an inflected language. So he's, he's been all like learning about noun endings and stuff. And he's like, Whoa, this is, <laughs> this is hardcore right here. It's, it's, it's fun. Um, old English is such a great way to uh, learn about that. Anyway, um, good times being had by all. Encourage folks to look into our Signum Academy clubs. And a few film film announcements. Um, we have episode 13 of the script discussion coming up on Sunday, May 16th. So you guys are coming to the end of the season next weekend, which is pretty exciting. So that'll be at 7.30 p.m. on Sunday the 16th. You can join uh, uh, you can join Marie and Nick and uh, uh, the rest of our folks in um, uh, on Twitch, twitch.tv slash signumu. Uh, you can join in, and of course, you can contribute uh, to the discussion and, and you know, the circulation of ideas there in advance on the discussion forums. And speaking of the discussion forums, um, our nominations for casting for season five uh, are now open. Um, so, uh, one thing I've been kind of meaning to do for a little while, uh, and I, I want to do here this evening if I can find my window. There it is. Um, uh, I want to make sure everybody knows how to get to, uh, you know, I've, we, I, we refer to the forums all the time and this is where like, you know, most of the real work of the film film project happens. Uh, so if you go to forums.signumuniversity.org, that's our, uh, that's our main forums page. And you can see there's all kinds of forums here. This is where people do the, the, uh, you know, notes and queries, questions on exploring the Lord of the Rings. Um, and we've got some other uh, Mythgard forums and stuff down here. Sparrow's creative writing stuff. Lots of really cool stuff going on here. Um, but of course, up near the top, one of our original forums is the Silm Film Project, which has been going on here for some time. And you can see all the different topics. If you have ideas about sets and props or you're doing, you're, you know, you're thinking about, uh, um, uh, you know, art and, 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 and costumes and um, all kinds of things. Lots of people have been contributing lots of different uh, creative work um, in support of this project for a long time. You can go to any one of these forums. I see that uh, Phil has been publishing music stuff uh, in um, 
in the music forum here. So we have our casting form here. So you click on casting here and you see that's broken down by season. Uh, so the season five nominations are here and you'll see the list of all of the characters uh, that we are nominated. There's the instructions up here from Hakan and then all of the, uh, the, the different characters whom we are casting for this season. Um, uh, so you can, uh, you can, you can kind of, Okay, I was I'm tempted to like start clicking on these now, but I'm not going to. No spoilers. We'll see who gets nominated. Um, there are always some very intriguing nominations, but those will be discussed later on. So the way that this works, of course, you you know now's the time to nominate. Just just mention uh, you know an actor or actress that you think would do really well uh, for one of these roles, um, and then we'll kind of put those together. We'll have a round of voting. Um, uh, you know, so people get the opportunity to vote uh, on the uh, on 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 the castings, and then your votes will be submitted to us, and then Dave and I will decide whether we want to veto you or not. <laughs> Usually, we don't, uh, but um, but anyway. So uh, you know, we had our, uh, our our preliminary casting episode where we kind of talked through these characters and some of the things that we felt like you know would be good to to sort of. Uh, to see or to show in those, uh, and then we will uh, 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 we will jump back in when it's time for the final casting decisions. Uh, that's always a fun uh, session, um, and right now that's going to be coming up um, sometime soon. Well, not super soon because we're still only in episode seven, but it's going to be a couple months down the road, right, Marie? Right. So nominations will be open through the end of May, probably. Um... Uh, I'll have to check in with Hakan to know exactly what date they're going to close. Then, of course, we'll have the voting probably throughout June and then maybe in early July, the casting session. But I think uh, you and Hakan probably have to work out the schedule for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. we'll 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 figure out a time that Hakan and I can do. Of course, that's what led to our, what was it, 2 a.m. session? <laughs> yeah, before. we can pick a time that you, Hakan, and Dave can all be <laughs> yes. at the same yes. time. Because so, I know I don't think we got Dave the last time. So. Yeah, well, it's, you know, Dave and Hakan are nine hours apart, but we can <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out how to how to, how, how we might be able to make it work. It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what we can do. Anyway, so just to invite folks to be, and you can see um, <clears throat> if I go back up here, you can see this is where the script discussions happen. So you can go to the script uh, from season five, and you can see these are the threads uh, for all of the different episodes uh, that are currently ongoing. So, um, anyway, so this is um, uh, I just invite folks to to take part. This is the the contributions we've been getting uh, from people all over the place doing all kinds of wonderful things. Whether it's uh, whether it's art or music or the work that uh, Hakan is doing on casting and so many of the the brilliant suggestions that people have had for nominating actors and actresses for nominating um, for 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 uh, uh, for set locations. Right, I, I, I love the uh, the set location episode. That's always a lot of fun as we're trying to picture where we would want to you know. Uh, to, to, to film some of these things, the location spotting. Um, we'll probably want to have those in by June. Right. So that's also something that should be happening right now if people have ideas. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, very much welcome um, people's artistic suggestions and things and we can, we'll, any suggestions we get, you know, we'll kind of put those things together and we'll end up discussing things uh, here in our uh, um, uh, post 
production. Uh, Stephen H. says maybe fight choreography. It would be really interesting to talk about fight choreography, actually. Um, uh, that would be um, that would be that would be quite a bit of fun, actually. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something I have uh, something I have opinions about. <laughs> so it would be would be interesting to talk about. Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. So just wanted to share there. That is our discussion threads. All right, so let us jump back into discussion here. All right. Oh, hey, Wally. <laughs> I see. I see. We had a we had a little cameo guest there. That's excellent. Yes, Wally stopped by to say good night. Sure. Yeah, that's so good. His, his triceratops he built. There we go. There we go. Yeah, excellent. Boy, he's getting big. It's funny, you know. Kids grow up so fast. You know, it was. Uh, I know. It's uh, incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was talking with one of my former uh, undergrad students today who were now like in the process of hiring to teach at Signum. And, you know, he was talking about like, you know, remembering my son when he was an infant in arms and when I used to bring him to class, you know, in a backpack and um, uh, sometimes and he's now 13. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, these things happen. Um, okay. Episode 7, The Council of Estelad. So our timeline is 395. So we're three years after Episode 6. So uh, the Haladin have been settled down uh, uh, in, uh, in Brethel for, for three years now. Um, and we... Wait, where, the, where was the B-plot again? I'm totally forgetting Episode 6. It was like two weeks ago. It might, it like might as well never have happened. It was a month ago, so you're okay. Well, it's a um, month. Yeah, we go. See, there it is. Uh, in episode six, we had the prison breakout from Angband, right? As the main plot, right? And then the B plot was Hador being recruited by Fingen to go north, and then he was able to rescue the escaping prisoners at the end of the story. Okay. And okay. then the the separate plot that was um, Halleth killing Tavilda. Right. Right. And moving into the Farshad Rebels. Right. So you you were right. <laughs> okay, right about the about the moving into Brethel part. Okay, so but basically, but so Hador has been three years now in the north. Right. So if he was a young man of about eighteen when he joined up, he's now twenty one. Okay. Okay. So, and so equally he, a young man. <laughs> right. Right. And he still has his um, basically his like original crew, right? That he went north with. Are are there more? you know, more humans that have joined him since that time? Not significantly, which is what this story would be about. Okay. Okay. So it's mostly the people who went up with him. Um, I guess Fingen doesn't drop by for new recruits every year. Right. 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 Yeah. That's well, he probably thinks he's, he's uh, going very frequently if he only goes once every three years. So. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. And then in our B plot, of course, <clears throat> we have. Uh, it's. Int- I, I was. I have to admit, this is the episode where I was. I think most surprised by the interlocking of the plot lines. Um, I did not expect the C plot to connect 
to the others. I knew that Arthel, we were going to come back to Arthel because it's been a while uh, since we've had Arthel. We had her only just in a, a couple scenes, right? Those The last time we saw Arthel and Aeol, they were still traveling around. They were meeting with the dwarves. And there was that interesting moment with the translation from Kuzdul where you know, the audience was sort of shown that something is kind of sketchy going on there with, um, with Aeol. Uh, but Arathel didn't pick up on it yet. Right. So there was still, there was some, some dramatic irony there. That's the last memory I have of Arathel. Is that right? Am I, am I forgetting anything, Marie? Uh-oh. Well, she's not in episode six. The question is, is she in episode five? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, I'd have to. I think that you know, was the episode five part. Okay. I and mean, it was just, it was, it was no, a small what you bit. No, described as episode four. Um, so in episode four is when she's free to walk about still. And episode four ends with the birth of Mygon. Right. Right. Okay. Okay, great. So we have had the birth of Mygon, but of course we haven't checked in on them since the birth great. of Mygon. Yeah, okay. I, I'm pretty sure. So it is, yeah. So it's been a couple episodes, and it's time to see how right. things are there. And the answer is not great. Not great. Things starting to go south. So we have, um, right, right. We have the the. We need to establish the dynamics with Myglin and his mother and father. Right is clearly one of the thing. Some of the work that needs to be done there in the C plot, as well as revealing more about the true character of Ale. And I believe I believe this will be the first time that we're also having um, Arathel basically discovering the truth of the character of Ale. Right. Yes, that's that's the transition in this episode. Is that she has to make a choice. So she knows something at this point right. and is not uh, oblivious anymore. Right. Right. Okay. Um, cool. And then, of course, we're back to Inkanus and the two brothers uh, in Harad um, and uh, him <laughs> trying to handle history lessons about Gondor in in Harad. So, yeah. Um, all right. These three are so intertwined, I'm going to want to probably jump around. But let's try to just see if I can, if I can stay focused on one, one plot line at a time. Um, so we'll start with the A-plot here. Okay. So Hador is going... So he sets out now, like, the next step for Hador is, I'm going to go and I'm going to convince my people to come with me. So he is... Um, not just, you know, a trusted ally of the Elven Kings, right, of Fingolfin and of Fingon, but he is basically determined to bring his, like, he, he, this is, how does he feel about it? Like, what is Hador's motivation? Does he feel a duty to do this? Does he feel like this is, the like, that he's doing something... Does it feel like, I mean, do you, I'm not being an all clear and I'm getting at here. Like, what is his motive? Is he trying to benefit his people? Like, is that his right. core motivation? Or does I, he feel I like his people could be a benefit? you're trying to ask, does yeah. he see this as an opportunity? Yeah, yeah. For his people. And on at least one level, yes. Because 
Haldor is aware of some of the issues that have been going on with the people in Estelad. Like, it, it, you know, he's, he grew up with that. He's, right. not un, he's not unaware that they feel like they've got these neighbors that they don't get along with. So he now thinks that if they moved up to Dor Loman, their neighbors would be Fingon and Fingolfin, who get along quite well with him. Right. He, he considers that an improvement to their situation. Okay. So he so does... There is at least yeah. one level of, this would be good for us. Right, right. Right. On the um, other side, there is the the duty, the obligation of um, you guys. We need to be organized against Angband, and the only person who's doing that is Fingolfin. So we need to get behind Fingolfin. Right. Right. Because the, I mean, to to what extent is there a sin a sense of duty to Fingolfin himself? Like a sense of like I've you know, I want to like deliver my people to Fing. Like you know, I I I I I'm gonna go recruit an army for Fingolfin. Do you see what I mean? Like it's you know that that like that he feels um, that he wants to do that for the sake of the of which which is not necessarily. I mean, it may also you know he may consider it a win win situation and want to benefit his people too. Um, uh, but is that um, does that factor into his thinking as well? I mean, in the conversation that he has with because we're starting the episode with Hodor and Fingolfin alone, well, alone, pretty much alone, right? Wandering, not wandering, but going to Dor Loman. Um, uh, so, you know, we're going to have some one-on-one time with Hodor and Fingolfin. How does he, you know, is there a like, you know, yes, I shall, you know, bring an army to assist you up here in the north like is that is that a, a sort of a duty that he feels um he's not making any promises about that because he does not in fact command an army to bring so it's more that he expresses the hope right. that when he returns there will be more people with him but mm-hmm. the only army he can promise are the guys who are already up there right so I think there's at least some level there where it's not like I have sworn fealty to you, so I will go fetch all my people and we're going to be your army now. Because Hador can't speak for his people. He's a 21-year-old guy who left three years ago. Like, right, with his with his silver medal in the competition and nothing else. Yeah, right, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. He, ha- he has no promises to make, but he has hopes. And so what he expresses to Fingolfin are his hopes. Okay. And what Van Galton expresses is, hey, this land is available and we would love to have your people live in it. You know, like, right. so, so Van Galton puts the option on the table for him and Hador says what his hopes are. But there's no promises or expectations made to each other because they know that that's not where, where things are yet. Right. And but I would think that it, it essentially establishes this um, um, sort of unspoken like. For Hador, if if Hador succeeds in what he's setting out to do, right? If he does in fact return, essentially establish himself as the leader of his people and bring them up into the north to come live in Dor Loman, um, then he would. Again, we, we, I keep coming back to that phrase, right? The peer of Elven lords, right? Uh, about how like he really would be at that point, you know. On um, still, he's been. Uh, he re- leads this little squad of humans who I'm, I don't doubt are really scrappy and have obviously held their own and they proved themselves at the very beginning. And and I think that, you know, we, we, we clearly are going to show them being sort of accepted as equals. Rogren c- clearly is going to be a big fan. Right. Um, so there will be, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not like they're going to be second class citizens or something and he needs to prove himself. But again, still, 
it would be a big deal, right? And, you know, he would then, you know, to be like now he would be kind of like standing alongside, you know, with uh, Fingen kind of leading the elves in Mithrim and him leading his people in Dor Loman. And, you know, the two of them would be not quite equals, but, but it, I mean, it would be, it would, it would be much more like that. Like he would really be taking a leap forward if he succeeds in this quest. Yes, he has Fingolfin's respect at the beginning, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have a land and he doesn't have a people that he's leading. So if he gains a people and brings them into the land, then he now has a new position and it's a much more obvious position of authority than what he had before as right. just leader of some dudes. Right. And now Hador, I'm, I'm going to assume that he's, well, but maybe I shouldn't assume. Um, he is one of the things that has happened to him in the last three years is he's, I, I'm assuming he's like 100% on board with the war against Morgoth at this point. Like he's, so he's, he's going to be the one of among all the humans, right? He's going to be uh, like in all of the three kindreds, like the foremost voice for we like what, we, the we the humans should be doing is like we've got to help with the fight against Morgoth. Like it is our duty for our benefit as well as everybody else's. Um, we cannot just shelter behind the elves because we can help. He knows better than anybody else that they can contribute. Right? They they actually can help. He has helped. Right? Um, so, um, so he's going to be a big part. Right? Of his appeal to the council is going to be. Um, we can't just, it, this is not just a matter of us, you know, finding peace with our neighbors and, 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 you know, getting our lands to raise our herds in safety, right? There's, there's a, there's a larger duty that we have here. There's, um, you know, for the, for the good of our people, for the protection of everyone, we need to join with the elves and, and help, you know, and, and, and join the war, right? Fight the war, not, not just shield behind it. Um, and it's interesting cause that's a, that's a tall order, right? I mean, that's a tough appeal to make. Like, it's, you know, oh, so there's trouble with your neighbors? I've got a solution for that. Let's go up to the front lines of the battle and join a war instead. That'll be much better, won't it? Like, that's a that's a tough sell. Exactly. So that's why he doesn't promise anything ahead of time. He knows there's a good chance this won't work. Right. And he'll come back empty-handed with nobody, and it'll just be him and his guys. Um yeah. But the but the desire to have something else happen is definitely there and his recognition that things will be much better if he can convince the people to come on board. So yeah. he's going to do his best to right. to sell that message. Right. And I would have to think that he would have he would he would have to be driven by some kind of because, I mean, there's no way that he could be approaching this or expect anyone else to approach this in a pure cost benefit analysis method, right? You know, because Hador is a very heroic person. Yeah. So he's definitely going to use the same approach Fingen used, which is, hey, I have an opportunity for you young men. Come on with me and you can go fight with the elves against Morgoth. Right. So Hador's going to kind of have the same approach of like, look at what, what great good things we can do in the world. If you and I and all of us work together, you know, this will be amazing. And right. right. And we can do something that a... we can accomplish something that will mean something. And, and I, I'm assuming by the way, that, um, yeah, Stephen H was just saying exactly this. And I was, uh, I was just exactly going there, Stephen, uh, cause I agree completely. Um, he is, Andreth is going to be echoing 
his words, unbeknownst to her, right, in the next episode when she's going to, or maybe not unbeknownst, but in any case, um, she's going to be echoing that, right? So this idea of we have a role to, like, it matters to humans. Like, it's not just about let's establish a peaceful place to live and and be left alone. Um, That's not all that there is, you know, or is there, is there all that there is? Isn't there more than that? I mean, that's got to be part of the, uh, part of, part of what he's selling right at the council, um, uh, that they can, their, their lives can mean something, you know, their people can accomplish something. Um, and, uh, and, and, and yeah, and to, to be setting up what's going to be happening with the house of Bayor in the following episode and this whole sort of looming question. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? The way that this gets sort of sandwiched between the two, right? On the one hand, we've got the people of Bayor who are going to be taking up this exact question of like, look, it is not good. Even if we're happy and sheltered and safe, it's not good for us just to be lingering here and doing nothing. Like it is best for us, even at the cost of danger, right? Better for us to move to the front lines to a place where we're in danger of, I don't know, getting completely annihilated in an oncoming battle at some point or virtually annihilated, right? Like it's better for us to risk that, knowing that we're risking that, than linger here doing nothing. And then, but on the other end, right, on the other bookend of this episode, we've got Haleth, right? And her people saying, we just want to go off and be left alone. Now, it's you know the interesting thing is that her taking on Tavildo, her taking out Tavildo, right, sort of shows that they're still accomplishing something, right? It's not like they're it's not like they're running away from everything, um, and even just the, their mere attitude towards that, right? As they're like, hey, can we live here? You know, we're going to live here, and Thingol being like, oh, I'm not sure about that, and then basically them kind of establishing themselves, uh, and you know, Beleg's reaction to their courage of you know going to take on the cats who have been a problem for. Doriath for some time, you know, around Doriath for some time. Um, not to mention, of course, the the whole, um, you know, Ethelos incident, you know, back in season four. So, you know, Tavildo and his cats have been a problem for some time. And so even the Haladin, although they're not on the front lines, although they're not, you know, engaged in the war, still have shown themselves very willing, even when not established and not in a position of strength to do something right. And to put themselves out there. Um, right. I mean, the Haladin have bravery, but I do think that Haleth is a bit more pragmatic and calculating of a character. So when you were saying it's not just a cost benefit analysis to decide, let's move to Dor Loman, It's not. Haleth's decision is closer to that of look, here's what we can do and here's what we will do. And here's what we're willing to do. And here we are. Yeah. Whereas with Hador, it's like, like, let me just gather you all together and, and tell you about this wonderful idea that I have. Right. It's, it's a little bit more like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty striking, but I love this theme. I love the way that we're, we're kind of established. And also, of course, like I'm remembering our overall theme of change as well, right. And how things go like it's, it's not enough just to establish a peaceful domain and then say like, can't we just be left alone? Can't we just, you know, find a place where we can just live happily ever after. It's not like middle earth isn't, that's one of the things that the elves are perceiving, right. It's not a happily ever after kind of place. Like it's just not the elves can tell that in the years of the sun, 
things are changing and they're changing in a particular direction <laughs> over time, right? Like that's perceptible. Like, you know, all is fading, all is, um, you know, the time is flowing away and the humans are in their way even more aware of that. And so I, I, I love this idea of this kind of... Now, of course, it's not that there is no more pragmatic argument that he has to make, right? Um, I mean, there is a, a nice land waiting for them up in the north, right? You know, that, 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 that he does have a kind of a practical appeal to make as well, right? Like, yes, okay, we have these wide lands here, um, but we've got problems on every side, right? Uh, you know, we've got problems on every side with neighbors with whom we just don't get along at all points, right? Um, in fact, at no point do we get along with, with all of them. I mean, there's some of them slightly better than others, but, um, uh, but there's no real winners among any of our neighbors here. Um, and he can describe, I mean, Dor Loman, again, just going back to the Silmarillion map with which I have like fallen in love again. Uh, just even like being able to describe Dorloman. I mean, there's like, look at that, right? This like, how safe does that look, right? <laughs> you know, within this, like on the one hand, they're going to be on the front lines, but it's not like they're going to be exposed, right? They're, you know, they're going to be sheltered, sheltered behind the entire uh, armies of the elves there, right? You know, inside their mountain, uh, their mountain. So he can be describing, you know, the plains of Dorloman, um, you know, where they can have their herds, but yet like be sheltered within the mountains. Um, they would not have to worry about, uh, you know, any hostile neighbors, because there are no hostile, and the only neighbors that they will have up there will be those who will be their strongest allies, and, uh, and, 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 you know, nowhere will they, will they be safer than, um, you know, behind the shields of, of, of the Noldor up there in the north, and they can, and then the further argument, right, and we can, we can contribute there, right, we can make that strong, we can protect, uh, you know, our lands and our families, and we can, we can make that happen, um, it's, it's, again, at first it sounds kind of dubious, right? Like, hey, everybody, like, let's go up to the front lines and get into a war that you don't know anything about. Like, doesn't that sound like fun? That seems like a very, very hard sell. But when you start with Dorloman, right, um, you know, with this dedicated land, which can be all ours and will suit us really well and which we can rule as our own and, um, uh, you know, and then kind of work outwards from there begins to sound a little bit more appealing. Yeah, it starts even earlier than Hado trying to make any arguments because when he arrives with his guys, they are dressed as elven warriors at this point. Like they might have left as some teenagers who joined up with Thingen, but they're coming back completely outfitted just like the Noldor, um, full armor and all that. And, you know, he's got the dragon helm on. So he's now a very impressive looking character compared to who he looked like three years ago when he left. And that argument speaks for itself before he even opens his mouth. Right. Um, this sense of like, look how we have been upgraded. Like we can, it, it, I, I can't help but remember that line. Um, the line about, you know, uh, uh, Hurin and Huor when they return from Gondolin, right? Like you return dressed as elf princes, right? Um, uh, you know, not like waifs of the wild. Um, I, 
yeah, like that's that, you know, they've been gone. Everybody might assume that they've been dead. Right. I mean, they've, I don't know if any funerals were held or anything while they were gone, but it's been a long time. It's been three years, you know, who knows if they're ever coming back again. And then not only do they come back, but wow. Right. I mean, they come back and, and clearly are in a completely different class, you know, in, in that way of, of every, I mean, no one will have seen anything like any of their, I mean, I guess they will have seen it because they will have seen some of the elf Lords. Right. I mean, Fingen was there three years ago when he recruited right. them, so they've seen Fingen dressed like that. Right. But and you know they've met other elf lords, but to have their own guys dressed as elf lords, obviously Haldar has some new friends. Yes, exactly. And yeah, uh, Nick was just uh, quoting the other line that I was thinking of. And Nick, I was about to refer to that one, um, which is of course the return of the travelers to the Shire at the end. Um, uh, uh, you know, lordly people called them meaning nothing but good. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, and, and the dragon helm, can we talk about the dragon helm <laughs> for a little bit? Like, because that there are implications, right. That the, the dragon helm has some, like it has an impact, right. That there's, there's, there's more, it's not just like a particularly, nice helmet like it that there's when you're wearing the dragon helm it has i mean i think i know how i would model it if i were making it like a dungeons and dragons magical item but like and tolkien doesn't think that way generally and yet there is clearly an impact on the people who you know like there's this this uh, uh this 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 awe and command that is attached to it i mean i i'm kind of wanting to this seems to me like a really good opportunity to sort of make a big deal of the dragon helm because so far the dragon helm it's significant right but it's significant because we've seen its history right we saw it was made we know it was made by you know by Telgar the greatest of the dwarf smiths and and um you know we saw it being given a couple times but like when it's being handed from one elf to another they're all so snazzy, you know, that like this one particularly snappy helmet amongst the rest of what they have, it's not going to really stand out. But I've got to think, you know, Hador walks into the, you know, uh, the crowd, you know, uh, you know, the crowd parts around him at the Estalot and he's wearing the dragon helm. Like when Hador stands up and speaks wearing the dragon helm, it's got to, it's got to have... Um, a real, um, a real impact. Um, you know, that, that's, and, and, and I wonder sort of how we could show that, because again, we, we need to build like a mythos of the dragon helm. And we don't have actually all that much time, especially since Hurin frustratingly doesn't wear it. <laughs> right. We're told, <laughs> which I, I guess, I mean, I think we should honor that, but, um, um, which again, I can only think of doing because he's got awesome hair. But um, I, anyway, you can't put it on him in the battle because then it's going to be lost in the battle. Right. So in other, exactly. for Turin to get it, Turin had to not wear it. Right. He had to not wear it. Certainly to the near knife. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anyway, but like we're, we don't have so very many chances uh, to show off because it's not going to be in the near knife. Um, we'll be able to. You know, we'll get it a few times, but 
what I'm thinking of here, like what I'm thinking of building, the, the, the scene I have sort of in mind is when Turin takes up the dragon helm again. That's a really important moment, you know, in his story when he, when he puts on the dragon helm. And of course it reveals him uh, to Morgoth, but it, it means a lot. It's a big deal for Turin to put on the dragon helm. And I want to make sure that we feel that, right? That we sort of associate, um, like, the appropriate thing so that we have this, you know, we're kind of building this sort of mythic backstory of the dragon helm. Um, because of course, not only is the dragon helm itself important, uh, to Turin and those moments in Turin's character, um, you know, in both in, in Doriath and, uh, and then later among the outlaws and things. Um, but also that he, um, but the Glaurung connection, right? It's Glaurung on his head, right? So the, um, uh, I mean, even like the obvious parallel of like uh, Glaurung being above on the helmet above Turin's head, like Glaurung is going to be above Turin's head when he stabs him in the belly, right? I mean, there's a way in which the Glaurung on the helmet is, you know, an anticipation of so much of Turin's story, of like the the ups and downs of Turin's story. So anyway, like I said, I, it's we need to we need to build it, and this seems like a critical moment to build the the the, the legend of the Dragon Helm, um, and. Um, I'm trying to think of how to make the best use of it here. Um, yeah, we definitely wanted it to give Hador access to the council. Yeah. So he's a 21 year old guy. He wasn't there for three years. If it's a council of elders meeting, he doesn't necessarily have a seat. Right. <laughs> but when he shows up wearing the dragon helm and is greeted the way he's greeted with the reaction of the people, then when he's like, hey, can I join the council? They have to say yes. So right. he kind of uses it to get in the door. Right, um, right. So that that's how we envisioned it playing a role, but he would take it off to speak at the council, probably. Yes, probably. Could we do a... I don't know, maybe it's too much, um, but um, could we... Um, could we do a? I mean, so I, well, let me actually just start that by asking the question: How much drama do we envision? I mean, I know Berig is going to do his thing, right? Berig is going to say, "I want nothing to do with it," and he's going to leave, right? Um, so there's going to be this sort of critical moment. Um, do we imagine a kind of back and forth thing, like when it looks like Hador is not gonna convince the folks, and then it kind of turns around and he's gonna? Um, I'm, uh, yeah. Right. So there's maybe four main voices of the council, and one of them, of course, is Hador saying, let's go to Dorlomon. One of them is Beric saying, let's get out of Beleriand. I hear there's a war here. Okay. And then there's Amlok, who's really Sauron the right. whole time. Right. So Amlok is replaced by Sauron before the council begins. Yes. And early on in the council, Amlok's not saying a lot. Like he's chiming in to support people's voices that he wants to support, but he's not exactly going front and center and saying, I'm going to make my push for it. So he's just 
kind of nudging things mm-hmm. early on. Mm-hmm. Once Beric pulls out entirely, he doesn't just say like, I think we should go. He's like, I'm leaving right now and I'm taking my guys with me and we're leaving Valerian. Like, right. have fun with the rest of your council guys. So before the council's over, he leaves prematurely right. and removes all the people who were with him. Right. Which means Hodder is now one of the stronger voices left. Right. At which point Sauron gets very nervous about the direction of this council. And that's when Amlock makes his actual, well, first there's another event, but right. then at that point, Amlock makes his, you know what, <laughs> the speech right. that's in the book, right? Right, yeah, it, it, yeah. Everyone was shocked to hear Amlock speak this way. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and and that, I think, would be the, oh, this could go very badly moment. And then Hador would come back from that and pull the council in the direction. So there's a little bit of back and forth. But it's not like we envisioned a council where Hodder was getting shouted down the whole time and at the end he like miraculously pulls out a final yeah, minute yeah. victory based on like a technicality in his own <laughs> argument. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, I wasn't thinking of anything quite as sort of extreme as that. But um um but yeah, okay. I I'm just okay, so I'm just I'm I'm thinking about I don't want to obsess about the dragon helm, but again, I want to, I want to make in my mind, the dragon helm is a really important, like symbolic element of this episode. Right. And I feel that it's, you know, Hador wearing the dragon helm is like the, you know, the symbol of this elf human alliance. Right. So I feel like him, um, it will be, we do have one action sequence, as Nick pointed out. We we didn't keep it all just talking. So when Sauron gets nervous about where things are going, he tells Theron Gwethel to assassinate Hador. Right. To remove his voice from the council. And um, obviously Hador survives this because... Right. Still has kids to beget, after all. <laughs> yes. He's not going to get married for another 10 years, so uh, yeah. clearly he's type. But... If you wanted to have him be wearing the dragon helm when she attacks him and have that protect him and save his life in the fight, like he's still going to get wounded, but yeah. not so badly that he can't stand up and give a speech afterwards. Right. So if you want the dragon helm to be on during that scene, we could certainly do that to demonstrate that it is powerful protection right? against evil things. You know, like if, if you if you need it to have that. Well, I'm thinking element, that, not just I wear it to look cool. <laughs> right, right. No, but I think it's actually primarily the looking cool that I'm focused on. Now, it can that that it has also utility is also is certainly important. Um, but okay, no, I say so, okay, all right. Here's here here's what I'm thinking. He come, he rides in and he's wearing the helmet, right? And so like that's part of the him wearing the helmet is part of the like people aren't just surprised, right? They're not just like wow, don't you look snazzy? Like, they, there's awe, right? There's, you know, his... his uh, um, he commands this kind of instant respect. Uh, he has been, you know, he's, like, transformed. But as you say, clearly he's going to take off the helmet to speak, right? In the, you know, he's not going to be walking around from inside his helmet in the in the thing. So so he when he gets to the council, he's going to take the helmet off, Right. Uh, he's gonna take the he's gonna take the helmet off and hand it to his number one, right? And his number one's gonna like hold the helmet while he's talking and stuff. I'm thinking of a moment, and it, pro- after the fight, right? So he's wounded. He comes in. Bereg has left. Amlock, fake Amlock, has done his thing, right? Um, and he's gonna come in and he's gonna make his 
final appeal, right? So I'm thinking, like, when he does this, he puts the helmet on, right? Like, either during or at the end of his speech, you know, in, the, in his, like, final rallying speech. And when he puts on the helmet, right, you know, the, the dragon helm at the end and, like, you know, calls basically calls for a decision, you know, at that point. You know, you know, I, 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 you know I'm thinking almost of, like, you know... Uh, Sorry, the Aragorn's line with the with the paths of the dead are coming. You know, like I, you know, I seek the paths of the dead. Come with me, who will? Kind of line, right? That he delivers here. Like, you know, I, I, I return to the north. Come with me, you know, who will? And he puts on, you know, he puts on the dragon helm and he delivers that line, and the people all rally up, like to to show that as like the you know the the him donning the helm as the turning point where clearly like he's basically just crowned himself. Right, which is going to be his crown, in fact, right? But to have that moment, have that kind of air of of almost of coronation about it, right? And the acclaim of the people. Yeah, I think that would be really good because okay. we we do need him to be declared the leader of his people by his people. He's been declared a leader by Fingolfin already. Like Fingolfin and Fingen put that on his head, right? But. He doesn't have a people to lead until they go along with it. So having him put it on and then his people acclaim him, I think, would would bookend that pretty well. Yeah, yeah. And that would be a really nice visual image. Like, again, I'm thinking about, um, you know, when, when, again, when, when, like, Turin among the outlaws, you know, puts the dragon helm on again for the first time, that we should be remembering this moment when Hador put on the dragon helm, you know, and all of the people followed him and everything. And even, like, the reaction among the outlaws when Turin puts it on can be kind of like this moment, you know, in the council. It can be an echo of this moment. Um uh, yeah, there's there are lots of uh, of of things that's that would that would that would that would help to establish that connection some. And of course, because here's here's the other thing. Gosh, I totally did not intend to be so obsessed with the dragon helm, but anyway, here I am. Um, the dragon, right? Like the Glaurung, who's on the helmet, right? is all about the force of his will, right? His will just overpowering the wills of others. Um, so the association between the dragon helm and the dragon is important, right? There's there's a similar kind of force of personality involved with the person who's wearing the dragon, but it's not the same, right? It it shouldn't feel the same. It's it's it should, you know it it has a different character, right? Less evil, in fact. Yes, that would be one way in which it's different, right? Yeah, it's not about domination. It's not about I'm gonna like erase your mind like he you know does to Neonor. It's a, it's um, but but nevertheless, there's this powerful influence of other people, right? That that is associated with the one who is wearing the dragon helm. So again, that's another thing that I'm wanting to kind of plant the seeds for because the whole um, this. This theme of um, asserting my will and having that will um, sort of override the wills of others or count against the wills of others, that's like one of the whole big motifs of the entire Turin story, 
right? From Morgoth asserting his will over the line of Hurin, and Glaurung asserting his will over people, and Turin trying to become the master of, uh, of fate, right? To assert his own will against the curse of Morgoth, right? And, you know, so, like, this, this question of, like, whose will is going to work out, right? You know, is, is Turin going to, you know, escape his fate, or is Morgoth's will going to dominate, in fact, succeed in dominating his life? Is Glaurung going to succeed in, you know, in, in you know, in asserting his will as he does? Um, and, um, and of course, all of this ends, the culmination of this theme, really, is Hurin and Morwen, right? Um, you know, uh, you know, that she was not conquered, right? That's the, 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 in my mind anyway, that's like kind of like the final note of that story, right? Of that, uh, that whole, which is about, you know, like the assertion of will, like whether to dominate or to resist, like that's what it's, you know, from the moment when Hurin and Morgoth are standing there, right? Having their contest of wills that, can, that, you know, that's what, that's what it's all about, right? For, uh, for him, his wife and his children. Um, anyway, so, that's another reason why I'm thinking about this because again, it's all it's the 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 dragon helm is the most kind of central and powerful symbol of this of the, of, of that whole thing, right? You know, really kind of the focal point of that whole struggle. So I want to I want to make sure that we're um, uh, kind of thinking that through uh, in that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nick says, one thing I find interesting is that Hador kind of embodies all the things modern people find superficial about historical leadership, but he does it really well. Uh, I mean, you're right, Nick. There's a way in which he is being, I mean, you know, he's sort of like Shakespeare's Henry V or something like that. (laughs) I mean, not exactly like Henry V, you know, not, uh, you know, not exactly like a uh, you know, a touch of how in the night or something like that. But, um, but you know, the once more into the breach, my friends, kind of historical leadership. Uh, I, I think Nick is the kind of thing that you're talking about, right? Um, right, as Nick says, he's a walking, talking cliche and still awesome. Um, well, yeah, I mean, he's got to establish um, this idea of like that there is a higher purpose. And remember, th- this has been a theme from episode one. Right. You know, Beor and his people had a mission. Right. They they were driven. They had a vision. Um, and it was like to achieve something higher. Right. That there's more than just like survival in this world. They're seeking something in the West, something that was higher and greater, uh, you know, than themselves. And Hador basically is coming back and saying, again, it's not the same people and they don't have the same vision. But he's basically saying, like, I found it. Like, I, you know, it turns out it's not peace and safety. Right. Which is what, you know, maybe everybody thought we were looking for. Right. What we found is a purpose. What we found um, is meaning, you know, that like our we can accomplish something. We can be a part of something really, really big. Turns out there's like an evil God in the north and we're like, you know, fighting on the side of the angels here against, you know, the embodiment of evil sitting up there in the north. That's a pretty big deal. Right. And we get to be a part of that. Like we get to uh, we get to we get to, to to help to be a significant play a significant role in this fight. Like, you know, compared with which anything else, you know, we would do is, you know, meaningless. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's it's it's, it's uh, lots of high ideals uh, involved here. 
yeah, uh, Nick Michael says uh, cliches have to come from somewhere, right? That's that's it. yes, exactly. He he's uh, uh, the 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 actual hero, uh, uh, you know, from uh, uh, you know from which uh, these other uh, these ideas which which fall into cliches uh, sort of come from. Um, but you're right, Nick. He really is like the 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 or example of the hero king. I mean, that's um, yeah, that's exactly the role that we wanted. Uh, for him, and and I think that's again the way it, the extent to which Hador becomes this iconic figure, right? The the sort of the myth of Hador and what it means to talk about you know the house of Hador, um, it really should have that kind of echo, right? You know, um, which will attach to people like Hurin and Turin, um, you know, all the way down the line, um, and 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 Tour of course, uh, and then, then on to Arendel. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, I like that. I like that. Um, okay. So let's talk about Bereg a little bit more. Um, Bereg's deal is uh, essentially he is just a, like, I want to be left alone and I don't want any part of this stuff. Like all I want is, you know, fields in which to, uh, you know, graze my herds without being bothered by elves who tell me I'm crossing into their lands. And, um, you know, if my pigs go over there, they'll shoot me in the face. Like, is it, you know, like I just want to be left the heck alone. Is that, is, is that basically the Bereg line? Yes. Bereg is from that community that had its interaction with the elves of the Syrians yeah. that resulted in that. So when Galadriel was being the go-between with Doriath and Assyrians and the people of Estelad, it was Varig's people she was talking to. Okay. And so his opinion is very much of, wow, these elves just can come in here and tell us how to run our lives all the time. And, you know, could we maybe not? <laughs> <laughs> right, um, right. So, so yes, Barrig wants to be left alone. He wants to have space and freedom and the ability to live their lives. And if their neighbors aren't going to do that, why stay in Valerian? They can always go back east. Yeah. So the 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 vision of Barrig and the vision of Hador, um, the primary difference is one of purpose of meaning. Right. I mean, both of them ultimately are saying, I have a solution to like th- we're in on the one hand. These are nice lands that we're in here in this big white space on the Silmarillion map. Right. Um, this is a nice spot here, but it's awkward. It's awkwardly positioned and we've got awkward neighbors all around. Right. Um, and just kind of hanging, continuing to hang out here. Long term, this is not uh, this is not working out great, right? So both of them, both Bereg and Hador, have solutions to this problem, right? Hador says, "Okay, the problem is it's the wrong elves, right? We need to go hang out with the with the with the right elves, uh, and uh, and and, and this will solve our problem." And Bereg says, "We just need to we just need to to to, to like this was a bad idea. Let's go back over the mountains and leave." Um, so they have, you know from a like pragmatic standpoint, each one has, and both of them are suggesting a long and perilous journey, right? So even that 
even on that level, they're sort of equivalent, just in opposite directions. Um, the real difference, right? The real kind of dividing point is this question of purpose, right? And ultimately, Berg is saying, I want nothing to do with any hyper. I just, I just want to, you know, tend my cows and not get shot in the face. Is that so much to ask, right? Um, and uh, and so Hodor's appeal against that is is you know this very different kind of appeal right this uh you know the lives of men are meant for more than raising cattle and not getting shot in the face right you know we have a higher destiny we can have a higher destiny um so yeah it's it's uh it is a very interesting uh um a very interesting cell and now we we are setting up the awkward elf interactions with Amlock. Well, we'll come back to that later, right? The Amlock's issues with the neighbor elves, right? Right. So, yeah, we. So, if we have Berig be the example of the interactions with the elves of Assyrians, um, Amlock is the one who has had interactions with the Feanorians, right? Prior to all of this, so that's. Right. Forming his opinions of wow, these elves are really stuck up. <laughs> right, right. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, I can't imagine why that would have that impression. Right. Then um, we did put another random elder in the council because we realized that having everyone come in with their ideas, say their part, and then leave didn't look like anything happened. So we needed one random elder to start out with saying, Hodor, you young upstart, you don't know what life is really about. And then shift over to, hey, I'm going to go to Dorlaman with all these guys. And so we made that voice um, have a problem with the Elves of Doria. Okay. And their secret sure. order that no one's allowed to cross and all that. So right. he doesn't like, he doesn't trust the Elves because they're so secretive. Right. Essentially. Right. Hiding in their magic forest and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in fact, we could even, we could even... I would imagine, even if we didn't try hard, his language would sound a lot like the Rohirrim talking about Lothlorien, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not that they're bad, they're just really suspiciously... <laughs> right, suspiciously <laughs> magical, uh, you know, in their freak-you-out-if-you-come-too-close-to-it forest. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's all kinds of spooky, what is going on there in Doriath from the human perspective. I mean, it's... In fact, it's it's... I would even go so far as it's hard to imagine how the humans who live on the edge of Doriath could not conclude that the those who live inside that forest are seriously sketchy, right? Because I mean, like, who would do that? Like, the, I mean, the 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 girdle has got to completely freak them out, right? You know, the, this if they come to the conclusion that there's some like. You know, that the elves who live in there are these, like, evil sorcerers whose purposes they don't know and can't trust. Who could possibly blame them for coming to that conclusion, right? I mean, unless they've actually met Beleg, who is, like, obviously the, like, unofficial ambassador to everybody who, like, has a decent opinion of Doriath. Um, but um, but but it's it's, yeah, I mean, without interacting with them, which most of them won't be interacting with the elves, right? It's in fact, the logical conclusion. It's not logical to, to think 
based on what you would just see on the fringes of the forest of Doriath. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that they are very good and very noble and have the most excellent of intentions and are just protecting themselves and are remaining strictly neutral with regard to us and bear us no ill will whatsoever. Like, who would draw that conclusion if you just came to the edge of the girdle of Melian without any explanation and without any word of welcome or warning or anything like that, right? So, so yeah, no, that makes absolute perfect sense. Um, and I agree, it's nice if we have that random elder, random elder number one, um, uh, with, let's see, what, what, what would we call him in the credits? First elder, something like that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, we would, uh, yeah, so ha- having him, because if we have him and we have Amlach and then we have Bereg, we have all of the different boundaries represented, right? The Fanorian side, the Doriath side, and the Assyrian side. The other boundary, of course, is with Nan Amlach, and real Amlach gets to deal with that. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, now, by the way, I thoroughly approve, uh, it is absolutely logical, in fact, I, I thoroughly approve of the whole assassination of Hador subplot. I mean, like, it, that seems so logical as to be, like, absolutely compelling. Like, how could Sauron not think that? I mean, he came here with a plan, to this council, with a plan, right? And then there's this, like, random dude with the dragon helm, and, and you know, th- like, this was not part of the plan, right? And if there's a... Uh, I mean, there could not be a more obvious fly in the ointment of Sauron's plans for, Est, you know, the Estelad Council than than this guy, right? Um, and not and not only that, he's like completely isolated, like he's unique among the rest of these people. It's not like he's, uh, you know, the spokesperson for a faction among the people, right? I mean, he's this completely outside force saying. Totally unexpected, really surprising, and um, not to mention maximally bad for Sauron's plan things, right? So yeah, like you off him, right? Clearly, like that's how you, if Sauron didn't think of that, it would seem like a plot hole, right? So yeah, I thoroughly approve of the assassination attempt. Um, tell me more about the the assassination attempt. So how does it go down? Like she. How does she attack? Yeah, go ahead and switch over to the B plot so we can. Okay, get yeah, let's switch the, over to the B plot. Okay. I think that should have all the Sauron stuff. All right, stuff. okay. So let's go to. Let's, yeah, we might as well back up and start at the beginning of the Sauron stuff here. Okay. So we've got Amlok being trapped. Well, we'll come back to the Aeol angle of this in a little bit. Um, but anyway, she. Now, hang on. I can't leave it behind totally yet. Thurin Gwethel knows what's going to happen. Right. So now Nelnoth is surrounded by the Proto-Girdle, and we know that Sauron's creatures have tried to get into Doriath multiple times after the Girdle went up with Tevildo and presumably also Theron Gwethel's vampires and the spiders and all that. So they presumably know that Aeol's woods are just as protected. Right. Or similarly protected, maybe not just. Um, so if you intrude... In Doriath, you get tangled up in girdle stuff. If you intrude in Nan Elmoth, you get tangled up in whatever ale tangles you up in. And right. Theron Gwethel's like, that'll keep him busy. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> right. they just need him out of the way for a few days while the council happens. Like, they don't 
really care what happens to him. So it's kind of a venture on her part, right? You know, she's... Yes, this would be a lot more effective if she left him dead in a ditch somewhere. So why doesn't she? That was one of the questions uh, that I had. Presumably someone could find him dead in the ditch and that would ruin things. So as long as he's just missing, then he's not actually missing because he's walking around the camp. Okay. So just so. as part of the... the Okay. Okay. Um yeah. Is there, we, we, is there a way we to make back. this oper- maybe more opportunistic? Yeah, mm. if it's if it's too premeditated, then I mean it, it it does seem to invite the question like, what did she not think to just bring a shovel? You know, like uh, because like clearly if you're gonna if you're gonna swap for somebody, right? You kill them, bury the body, then swap for them, and then there's no chance that like they're gonna awkwardly come stumbling back into camp while you're still there. Right. The main reason she doesn't kill him is because Tolkien has him alive at the end of this. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But I agree with you that if we make it seem a little bit more opportunistic, maybe it won't seem like a bad plan on her part so much as taking advantage of... Suppose suppose they just wander in and get trapped and Theron Gwethel spies that this has happened and then reports back and says, hey, we we have an interesting opportunity here. Well, they intended all along. Maybe they're just seizing upon this opportunity to like, like get in there. That would explain. True. It. They, yeah, they just need one guy that's recognized who would have enough of a following at the council. So Sauron just needs a guy with a council seat, which is what Amon is here. Right. The, the downside of this is now it's now it seems like Sauron showed up with no plan. Right. Right. Well, I mean, again, if plan A, right, you know, plan A is to find random council member walking by his own self, right, club him in the head, bury the body and substitute for him. It's not like that requires a great deal of setup. Right? I mean, that that's plan A, right? And then the Amlach situation arises, right? Well, yeah. So the question is, why would they go into the scary forest? Because, um, I mean, Esselad is right near Nan Alma, like the encampment is, but presumably everyone who goes to that encampment knows to stay out of Nan Alma. So we had the motivation be that there was a voice calling out for help from the woods. So, you know, he goes in to rescue someone else and gets entangled. Um, is there a reason? Would there be a reason that Aeol would do it on purpose? Like, would Aeol... Because I'm thinking ahead, of course... To... Well, not ahead, but I'm thinking aside to our C plot and Aeol's thing. Would Aeol be... I mean, obviously, it's not like he's going to be, like, you know, inviting visitors or something like that. Uh, but would he be curious about humans? Would he... Would 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 Aeol just be like, you know, let me capture some specimens and see what these humans are all about? I mean, could it, could, could it be motivated by Aeol in that way? I wouldn't a reason for him to try and pull humans into his forest he's so protective and territorial like and this encampment's been happening on his doorstep for years so if he ever wanted to go out and talk to the humans he always could i would think he's more of the those kids on my lawn about the whole thing he hates us a lot on principle (laughs) right right no i i I would think he would Yeah, I, I would think he would, yeah. and um, and anyway, the, the, then we get into the issue of that. It's just like he just so happens to do that at precisely this moment. It does be, become a little oddly serendipitous, right? So it, with Theron Gwethel luring them in, and then 
taking off from the trees herself in vampire form, we know what happened immediately. Right. So it doesn't take as much setup of the bad guys saying, okay, so what we're going to do is. Right. Right. Um, no, it does. It. Do, I mean, it, it works. I, I realize it raises some questions. Yeah. What, it, if it's, what if it's like kind of, like you know, sort of sort of middle ground? Uh, high, they're they're there. They're trying to they're trying to figure out like, okay, we need to get somebody out of the way. Um, and then uh, these guys happen to be out on I don't know. They're on a hunting trip or something, and they're a little too close to the Nelmod. And Theron Gwethel sees this and says, seizes upon the opportunity and like just tries to nudge them a little bit. Like so, then she flies in, does the voice, and gets them trapped. And you know, Aeon's grumpy because there's people intruding. So like maybe she didn't like come in like, okay, here's my plan. I'm gonna lead them into Nan Elma. But she sees like I could probably get away with it. She sees the opportunity. Right. So we were thinking that if Estelad's this encampment, right, that Amlock's group has pitch their tents closest to the forest. Mm -hmm. So it is opportunistic to go after Amlock right at the edge of Nan Elmoth like that. Um, right. that. That was how we put him in proximity. And then she just needs to lure him that little bit into the forest. I think that works. If, if he's... Hmm. How many people go into the forest? Is it just him? By himself? A couple friends. A couple friends. With him. I... Because if we're sending his son, I think possibly. Another thing. Not his son. So I forget if that son is trapped in the forester in the council. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you want to, if you're going to swap for somebody, you want to take them out quietly, right? You don't want any, you know, noise about that. Um, so if it's, I mean, that would be a reason not to just attack him, right? Is that, you know, if he's you know, like well protected or like he has, you know, if he's like paranoid or whatever, in which case, again, you just be like, so why choose him? Like choose surely not 100% of the elders are like super careful and super paranoid. Um, you know, at least one of them is going to be like staggering drunkenly back to his tent alone some night. Right. Like it's, um, yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. I feel like there's... I don't dislike the proposed plan. It just... It feels like it could be better. It feels like there's... A, there must be a more, like... A more elegant solution that would accomplish more things better. But I can't think of what it was. So what what, what I'm starting with here is thinking about what it suggests about Sauron and Thorin Gwethel and their plans. Like, is, the, is there some work we can do there to sort of show, like, the reason they handle Amlach this way, like, that, that it's kind of indicative of them, right? Like, they're, they're this is, it, it teaches us something about them and about their characters and who they are, that they operate this way, instead of the club him over the head and bury him in a shallow grave way of approaching this, which again, as I mean, is a method, right. right? I mean, it would, it would, it would be, of course, it would turn out to be a better method than the one that they took. Um, so why do they do it this way? Like, what does it show us about them that they choose this instead of? So, um, just one, one, I mean, you're right that like, like these kinds of resourceful villains, it seems like they would, they would be able to make a body disappear. Um, right. But it is, but it's kind of true that like 
even even with that body, there is sort of this issue that if you if you pump him off, um, he's going to mysteriously disappear shortly after the house, and everybody's going to wonder why, why, why. And also, it leaves open this this chance that like you know like. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, Whereas if he, he if he then shows back up, up and then also says like, like well that wasn't me I didn't say that like it it, it creates confusion and uh, mm -hmm. distrust. Yeah. Okay. So we on. we do have an opportunity for Sarn and Ferenguffel to discuss their plans a little bit because the way we're going to introduce that Sarn has replaced Amlock is that Amlock will be walking through the camp and human Ferenguffel will be walking with him after the, the forest scene. So it'll be like. Ah, that is probably not real unlock. <laughs> um, right. And so they're talking about the council and their plans. Sauron could ask her, uh, so what happened to this dude? <laughs> and she can say, oh, he's lost in the woods for a while, we're fine. And Sauron could make it clear that his intention is when Amlock comes back, if the council goes the way they want and he can foment um, rebellion among the men, that he'll just put the whammy of, you know, not so bottomless dread on Amlock and let Amlock leave the Yumis and he can get out of there. Because, yeah, he's not going to commit to a 20 year spy mission. Right. Right. To impersonate Amlock forever. So Amlock, he does right. real Amlock to lead the group later. Right. And if he just mentions it casually to Theron Gwethel, the fact that it never happens won't matter. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's. Look, the club over the head in the shallow grave is a very Gothmog-ish solution to the problem, right? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not how Sauron rolls. Um, and yeah, if you think about, if we think about it in that way, like he's going to, he, he's not going to cast aside a tool that could be useful later on, right? So, right. Um, if he thinks of this forest situation as like the, a way to warm up Amlock for the spell of relatively deep dread that he is going to put upon him afterwards, um, then, uh, yeah. I mean, I could see that being, I could see that being the plan, but of course it invites the question, why doesn't he just start, just do that to again, start with the whammy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I also I wonder, wonder, I kind of wonder, wonder, wonder if there's part of me, I wonder if, like, if maybe, like, like, think, if you think back to like, like what this reads like in the Silmarillion, um, in the published Silmarillion, it's really short, and we don't dwell on it, move on quickly, but it's super eerie, right? And like that passage where, where it's like, oh, and, oh, and by the way, uh, later on, it like showed up, and was like, that wasn't me, I didn't say any of that. Right. People were like, what the heck? Like, it, you kind of, if you start thinking about like, if you did spend some time going on that, like, what would that do to people? What would that do to, like, the community? It wouldn't be good. People would be looking around saying, like, are, you know, anybody could be replaced with it. This guy just thinks he was replaced by this doppelganger. And it seems plausible because he's saying completely different things from what he said before. How do we know that other people have been replaced? Who can I trust? What's going on? To me, it seems like, like for Sauron, that's a win. Right there. You just like stir up all this distrust. Uh, like, how could a society function if that's how people are? So, like, you don't even need to know You just like just mess with these people for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's that is true. Um, it could even be. It could even be part of the plan, right? Mm -hmm. To have him come back later on. Because yeah, that right. is a kind of Sauron-ish plan, isn't it? Like, let's just 
so, um, you know, distrust and um, unease uh, on this level, which, of course, could come mapping back. You you know who else doesn't look like he used to look and doesn't talk like he used to talk is Hodor, (laughs) right? So, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I don't know that anything's going to come of that. But I mean, but again, you know, the idea that... um, you know, you can't try. And, and of course, it's only then one other step to say, and this is all like, look at the, this is what we're living in this place where we're, you know, we like the the invisible archers that shoot you in the face on the one side and like the magic elves in spooky terror forest on the other side. And, and then the even spookier, more weirdly terrifying forest on the other side. And, and, and then, you know, Mr. Like high and mighty with his, you know, whatever. Like, it's a, the Feanorians are the good guys in this scenario. Exactly right. They're like the normal ones, right? Who are just going to stomp on your face, right, with their metal boots, right? But, um, but anyway, I mean, it's it's like clearly this is a, they are in a land of wonders. Like they are clearly in a land of wonders, um, uh, marvels which are not in their favor generally, right? And so, like the just general spookiness and resistance to the whole fairy element, right, of the land that surrounds them. Um, that would certainly be something <clears throat> I can easily imagine Sauron saying, I want to play on that. Right. I want I want to play on that. So, um, well, so, another, yeah. Another, another, so another factor to consider here, too, is uh, uh, why, why why align this, this extremely subtle plan and then try to murder him. Um, um, and I think and the I explanation, think explanation there is that, that, that like, they, they, this plan looks, works really well, and then Hador comes in, and, and like, and it's pretty clear it's going the wrong direction for Sauron. Sauron. It's, like, it's like so much for my subtle plan. plan. Uh, I thought people uh, were going to be pulled apart. Or this guy is guiding them. Maybe Sauron even sort of can detect that there's something more going on, dragging on all that. Okay, never mind subtle plan. Let's bump off Hador. Maybe we can pin it on a block or something. Like, um, but there has to be a reason that he decides to take that step after sort of trying to go to more subtle level. Yeah, because it is. I mean, again, as I said, it, it seems screamingly obvious. Like. Hador is clearly your problem. You get rid of Hador, this whole situation is going mean, to... It's not like they're going to go up to, into the north without him, right? Yeah. So, you know, but but yeah, but I agree. It is a shift. To try and, he could try to put the, the whammy, the spell of not spotless dread on Hador, but because of the dragon helmet, nothing happens. Um, and then plan B is the assassination attempt. Like, it would be something else to add in. I'm not sure we have a lot of room for it, but while they're at the council, like fake Amok could confront Hador and be repelled, essentially. Right. Right. If you if you wanted to highlight the dragon helm being awesome. What if what if it's not an assassination attempt? What if Sauron is trying to whammy him? Right, he's trying to do something more subtle than just kill him. Because there's always the chance when somebody comes in being as heroic as that, right, um, that if they suddenly die tragically, that can still lead to unfortunate consequences, right? That might be the only circumstance in which they'd go north without him, right? 
Well, no, suspicion is perfect. That's what Sauron wants, is suspicion. Right. No, so. but I'm thinking about, like, the the like the like rallying behind his cause. I mean, like, it's it might yeah. undermine the undermining of him, right? If, the, if you make a martyr of him at that particular moment. But it's... And again, like, the way that Sauron and Thorin Gwethel operate is more... I mean, they would be more likely to try to whammy him somehow, wouldn't they? And to have him to show him be proof against that somehow to show him resist them or him uh, in some way, which could then lead to like, he could then attack them. Right. Um, Hador could then attack Sauron uh, or Thorin Gwethel. Our goal was to have Hador not figure out that Amlok is the villain. Right. So that he's not specifically yeah, yeah. arguing against Amlok as and you're an agent of Morgoth. Right, right. Um, yeah. So that's one reason we hadn't put Amok in the attack. We had just put uh, Theron Gwethel in that attack. Right. And well, presumably but, it's a sneak attack, you know. Sure, sure. But no, I'm but, thinking it, it wouldn't have to, he wouldn't have to reveal the Amok thing, right? I mean, he, he could change his form again, like to look like yeah. a random person. Um, and then we could just show him resuming Amlock's form afterwards or something like that so that we know for sure who it was. Um, right. uh, not that there are so many candidates, but um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So I, I, I agree we definitely don't want Hador to be confronting Amlock knowing that he's confronting an agent of Morgoth. Absolutely, that's very clear. Um, but But of course, actually... That's part of the danger of having the attack at all, right? Because if Hador is assaulted, he's, I mean, he's going to use that, right? I mean, he's going to, it's going to be a big part of what's, ha- you know, like the, you know, and like our enemy in the North has attempted to strike me down. Like they're, you know, they are among us even now, you know, their agents are among us even now. And I was attacked and, and, uh, you know, the enemy in the North fears us. You can see him turning it into a really nice speech. Um, if we want to go there, but it does, it does make, yes, that's, that's where we went with it. Okay. Yeah. That's where you went with it. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. shows up having been attacked and was like, look guys, we need to do it my way. So yes, it does backfire. The question is if we could pull off a way to make the attack seem like it's going to be an attempted mind attack. And then when that fails, Theron Gwethel stabs him with a knife or something. <laughs> right. What if Theron Gwethel... Yeah, so, uh, Nick has a really good point. Um, he says, if you know, what if it's Theron Gwethel who tries to do it and fails? Because he says, that way we're not saying that Sauron can be put off by a human, how, however awesome. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to... We don't want to... It's... We want to be cautious with that. Um yeah, we don't want to, don't steal, want to steal Luthien's thunder. thunder. Yeah, no, we don't want to steal Luthien's thunder. Um, I, have a, I have a quick question about timing. timing. Uh, what happened what first? first? Uh, Hador, Hador showing up, showing up, giving his, his grand, grand, uh, clutching his, his, his side, side, giving his grand speech, and pointing out that the attempt on his life failed. Clearly, the enemy is meddling. Or Almach showing up and saying, by the way, that wasn't me. I didn't say anything. Because um, um, I, I think, think I, I don't know. I, I, this might, logistically might not work, but I, part of me thinks it might be more effective if, 
uh, uh, unlock the returns, returns first, first, and that freaks people out. out. And it seems like, like uh, and you can create some dramatic tension with the audience too, where maybe we don't realize, we don't know if Todd or survive. And um, Amok shows up, and it kind of looks kind of coming out the way Sauron expected. People are freaked out. They're like, what are you talking about? My mood is here. Oh, no, doppelganger, who you trust. And then, and then um, Otter resolution and all that. And the reason why that doesn't, nothing comes of it is Otter shows up and says, no, he's right. The enemy was here amongst us, but uh, their plot has failed. And we're better than this. We're going to pull together. We're going to go stop and stop. And then that's when people get all excited. Then I don't know if logistically this works, uh, but I think that dramatically that could work really well. The logistic issues are that then you'd have two Omlocks at the council at once, because Sauron's not going to leave as fake Omlock until the people choose Hador and it's over. Yeah, that's true. So, which yeah. leads to the you're not really me in, in real life confrontation, which is maybe not where we were going. Um, but the advantage of having Amok come in after it's all over. So the council has happened, they've acclaimed Hador, the people are packing up to move out, and Amok walks back in like, wait, how long was I gone? Because I was just stuck in ferry. Um, and, and everyone tells him what happened. His reaction at that point to what he missed is more of the, but that wasn't me. And right. it's a personal reaction because if Amlock tells all the people there's an agent of evil here that we have to go fight, then it's Amlock who convinces the people they should move to the north, and it's Amlock who has united everybody. And and the whole idea was that Hador's supposed to do that with his message. So we wouldn't want it to be Amlock like just walking in and doing that. So that's why he doesn't he doesn't go with Hador. He 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 specifically goes and joins the Feanorians. Right. Uh, so so he's doing his own he has his own personal reaction to that betrayal separate from what Hodor did at the council. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure it's what you were looking for. Yeah, I I, I, I can see that. Um, I like that. I mean, I, I agree with Dave that there is definitely some interesting opportunity for like more complex kinds of tension and suspense. If the Amlak reveal is happening, you know, is it kind of overlapping with the Hodor um, story there if it's less I mean I it definitely um, it definitely kind of makes the the plot cleaner right to separate them in the way that you have right that, that, that's that's de- um, right though I think exactly what Dave is suggesting is that if we muddy that up a little bit more it gets like more complicated and more interesting which I agree I think it does Um but I, yeah, it is. It would be trying to do a lot for sure. Um, and um, it's also like, like I think to your point, Marie, it's like, it's like you know, sort of which what story do we want to tell? I, 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 I was I'm hung up on that just the light, the light, like you know, sort of weird, 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 that weird sort of line at the end where. It describes like everyone's reaction after I'm like, I'm like that. Yeah. The tail just being like totally weirded out. And I, I kind of feel like, um, um, I feel like if, if everyone's like, if, if Hodor's already come back and announced like, like the enemy was here and he tried to, uh, tried to murder me, 
uh, and everyone's like, oh, let's, let's get that guy. I'm like coming back and saying like, hey, uh, I think, you know, or, or, you know, you know, saying like, oh, yeah, there was somebody was impersonating you. You know, the, you know, there isn't going to be any of that, like, like people being weirded out, out because people, like, people like, they know, they, know, they understand, they understand what's happening. There's no mystery. You get it. Yeah, the SR on the sphere. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. But we thought you were dead. Good. So it's like, so it's like a different, it's just a different story, but it does, maybe doesn't give you an opportunity to do something with the online as opposed to showing the impact on that people. So I think I think it works also. It is like, I th- I th- something tells me to me what I what I was pitching is like it's, just, it's gonna be too much to try and accomplish on yeah and I mean and it is a departure I mean the return of real Amlach um, who reveals that it was not him who made the speech before is in the text given as a part of the argument of the council right that those who were in favor of joining with the elves say well okay so like this pretty much takes the bottom out of your there is no enemy in the north argument right it, this at least yep. we know that there is in fact an enemy in the north um and uh, you know so the the reveal you know the the reveal that real amlach was not the one who made that speech speech and that there's uh, a, a, you know an evil enemy doppelganger among them um, you know, with exactly that kind of creepy, uh, conclu- you know, response, you know, effect that Dave was saying is part of the like, council proper in the text. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely precedent for using it that way. Um, but, um, yeah, it's. Uh, but there is a lot. There is a lot going on. I want to go back to Thorin Grethel and her attack on Hador. Um What if, I think one of the things that would, I think one of the things that was bugging me a little bit about that is that it seems, even if the conclusion, Hador must die, seems obvious, right? And seems like a, a, an obvious and clean solution to Sauron's suddenly developing problem here. I'm just going to assault him does not seem like a Thuring Gwethel solution to that problem, right? Because that's not her MO. You know, she doesn't just attack folks. Um, even sneaky, I mean, has has she ever done that? What have we seen her, she, seen her doing? We've seen her impersonating folk and deceiving people. Right. We saw her leading... Right, her, you know, Go ahead. Yeah, her interaction with Kierden uh, yeah. last season was one of the more significant exactly. things that she's done. And in the Marathadothad, right, as well, with Sauron. And uh, and then spying, right? We see her change. So uh, shape-shifting is, like, been her primary thing, right, so far, including the shape of the vampire uh, bat. And so we've seen her flying around, right? So we've seen her spying. We've seen her shape-shifting and lying, Right. And and, you know, manipulating people very effectively, especially Kyrdan, as you said, that was that was the scene I was thinking of, too. Um, Is she like is assassin in her wheelhouse? Like, is that part of her portfolio? Exactly. Like, I'm not sure it is like it. I get what if. It would seem. Uh, she and Sauron do have to fight off some giant spiders at one point. That's true. So we do see that interaction. Right. So it's not like she's never been in a fight. Right. Um, she has some combat capability. Right. So, right. 
But I agree that that's not her go-to typically. That's not what we usually see from her. We could circle this back around to our initial unlock problem and say, basically, use the luring away of Amlach at the beginning as a setup for what she's going to try to do to Hador, right? She's going to try to lure him away and do away with him one way. Maybe, maybe, hey, Nick, maybe we can do it both ways. Maybe we can have, like, so Sauron is waiting, right, outside the camp. And the planet, why would he do that? I know why. Because Hurin's with his posse, right? Like, he's got his peeps around him all the time, right? So Sauron's not going to, like, waltz into Hador's tent and be like, whammy, right? Because that's awkward, right? So Thorin Gwethel's job is to get him out alone from the camp. And when he's out alone from the camp, he's going to whammy him. And when he, then he's going to whammy him so that then he's going to have whammied Hador go back to the council tomorrow and be like, I changed my mind. Morgoth is awesome. Or whatever he's going to say, right? He's going to say something devious and horrible. Um, but that's, that's Sauron's plan, right? Sauron and Thorin Gwethel's plan. And so Thorin Gwethel's job is lure him away from the camp, right? Um, um, so obviously Amlock's not alone out in Nanomoth. He's got some of his guys with him. So there's some missing people in Amlock's camp right now. Not Amlock, but right. the rest of his people. There's a few missing. So Theron Gwethel, who's been hanging around fake Amlock, could tell Hador about someone who's gone missing and how he, she needs his help to come rescue somebody. So that would be pretty parallel to the Amlock running off to rescue somebody in the woods thing. And remind the audience that, yeah, there is actually an issue with the missing persons <laughs> right. situation. Right, right. Yeah, so so what would have to happen then in order to avoid the situation that Nick, I think, is wise to want to avoid, which is like a face-to-face confrontation between Hador and Sauron in which Hauron, it's Hauron, Hador defies Sauron, right? Um, we don't want that. So he'd have to not get there. Um, so he would have to... Catch on, resist, overcome Thorin Gwethel's deception slash temptation slash, um, you know, what, you know, whatever she's doing. Um, and then he would have to, like, recognize that he's being lured off by an agent of Morgoth and he would attack her and she'd fight back. She, she could still wound him, right? Because, as you say, it's not like she's totally uncombat capable. Um, I just, again, I just, I, I don't see, like, I'm going to jump him and beat him up as, as her, you know, plan A there. It doesn't, doesn't seem in her idiom, right? Okay. Yeah, she can definitely lure him away in that scene, and as he catches on is when it deteriorates. We, we have to um, make sure that the initial plan got voiced at some point prior to that, if right. we're going to have it change in media rest. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. By the way, uh, uh, I have another, another, another streamlining line proposal. Uh, what, what if in both cases, Thurin Gwethel really is just trying to beat them away and away and And here's the risk of this, because it makes Thurin Gwethel a little factual. But in the first case, Amok is able to fight or escape. He just happens to wind up in a old He runs away from her into... No, yeah, no. And, third, and then third level left. Like, oh, all right, all right. Good night, good night. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially 
especially if they have prior experience of like, you know, that's not a great place for us to go either. Either, Or, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm from Bethel. I had to, I could probably fight my way out of Agatha's traps. I'm too busy. I have other things to do. And, you know, that'll keep Amlock busy, which is what you have as a whole anyway. And then in the second phase, then once again, attempts to lure out of the way to let her in. And in his case, he just like fights her off. At least then, now, now we have a very simple streamlining plan. Lead away, murder, murder, uh, and it just and happens it just to fail twice. Fail twice in a row. Yeah, that's that's the trick, right? Is that, and, you know. Right, right. And the first time, but as you say, the first time she's like, good enough, right? Like, uh, you know, I'll take, uh, I'll take uh, plan B, get him lost in Nan Elmoth, right? That, that. Still does the job, right? Um, so that's not a complete fail. I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is what we want for Warren Weffel, but you could do the deceitful, deceitful bumbling bad guy thing. I saw him, like, would you take care of Yeah, yeah, taken care of. Taken care of, yeah, totally gotten out of the way. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we we can't have her lying to Sauron because she is like his most trusted lieutenant. So like clearly like we don't want to undermine her to that extent. Um, Yeah, it's true that the Thuringwethel failing twice is a bad look, though. I mean, if we want to if we wanted to do this and we wanted to help it, you know, prevent her looking too bad. She could kill his other, his, the other guys. Right. I mean, like she yeah, could succeed, yeah. she could lure off like the three or four of them, um, and succeed in killing the other th- three. Right. And then Amlock alone escapes, um, uh, and ends up having to flee. And that would explain, of course, why he's fleeing into super creepy, dark forest, um, as alternative to like being murdered by like freaky ninja lady. Um, you know, so like that seems a, you know, th- that would explain also, his rationale for running into she's Nanoma. Attacked, if she's attacking that group, oh, what a, and maybe, 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 maybe. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, you've been having strange audio problems all night, and now it's given out entirely. <laughs> we just have no Dave audio at all. Weird. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. What do you think of the of this chain of failures uh, concept for um, throwing I think in. I think in the first case, we're going to see her attack deception on Amlock without having any preview of what she's trying to do. Mm-hmm. So if we only find out later when she reports to Sauron, like, well, didn't quite go as planned, but he is taken care of, then it's like, oh, she was trying to do something else. So that would be the only time it would come up. We would just you know, see it happen from Amlock's point of view on screen initially. So it wouldn't seem like a failure because Amalek is trapped in the woods. Right. And then for the second one, she's going to wound Hador. Right. Who then comes back to the council. So she is going to fail, but 
the fact that Hadar is wounded will feel dangerous to the audience. So it won't, she won't feel weak or useless, I don't think, even if he does get away. We so could, I don't we, think she's a complete failure here. Right. It, it, she won't look bumbling, exactly. What if he, I mean, he could be, like, pretty seriously wounded. Like, you know, I mean, uh, he could even, she could even think he's dead or something, right? I mean, there could be some kind of, uh, um, I don't know, I... Not quite sure how to manage I, that, but yeah, I think if she leaves him for dead and then he gets up and walks away, it looks worse. Then she yeah. is fumbling because yeah. there was no reason she couldn't finish him off while he was down. Right, right, like that feels a like a clear she didn't finish her job. Right. Whereas right. if she goes to attack him and he fights her off, then that just means he's a warrior, which we already knew about him. So right. no shame in that. So I, his... I feel like yeah. yeah. And his his guys could come in and you know and and you know come to his aid and stuff and then they make it back to the camp and everything. Um, yeah, we could make that be like a heroic survival by Hador situation rather than a failure by Thorin Gwethel situation. And as you say, if we're showing the first scene from Amlach's perspective, it's not going to be obvious that it was a failure at all in that way especially if she comes in and succeeds in killing his guys. Is it going to undermine the C-plot, to which we should probably get relatively soon, um, if 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 only Amlok survives? Um, the advantage of having more than one human in, lost in the woods is they can talk to one another. Right. Um, otherwise, it's just Amlok by himself wandering through a creepy woods. Right. Um, so it would be better if at least one other guy survives. <laughs> Right. But she can kill somebody. I'm right. fine if I'm fine if there's a dead body. Okay. That she right. does bury yeah. in a shallow grave. <laughs> That's right. really that. <laughs> we we can show that she's not completely hopeless when it comes to when it comes to corpse disposal. So there we go. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um Yeah. I kind of Does Dave have audio? I kind of like that. I don't know. What is the state of Dave's audio? All right. How is it? Is it any better? Hey, hey that's way yeah. better. Much better. All right. I think, I, I think I figured it out. I'm not sure if my webcam's sharing now. Oh, it was. And then as soon as you said that, it went, oh, there it is. It's back again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. It's not showing it on my window, but whatever. Good enough. Yeah. We can see so where, you. Where did we leave it? So I, I we're we're thinking we we're thinking of the semi competent uh, Thurin Gwethel, whom if we show the scenes from the right angle is going to look pretty competent. Like basically, she will succeed in uh, in killing some of and driving off Amlach and the rest of them the first time, and she will um, uh, she will uh, you know uh, lure Hador away and then attack him once she gets him by himself, but he will fight her off like this. So it will be a, you know, Hador being awesome rather than Thurin Gwethel being incompetent kind of situation. And I, I think if we show him, if we show his people rallying to him as well there, I like the effect of like, cause it's not just that he is personally awesome. It's not just, he's like, you know, a personally awesome fighter, but like it's him as leader, right. That is so important about him. So if, his people come rallying to his cause and, and save his life. That's actually, that's bonus points for him, right? That puts him in precisely the position we want him to be in. Um, 
which is the 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 valued and and excellent general and leader whose men are, you know. Right. So their fight is just interrupted before she's able to kill him. Exactly. She would Rather probably than... have succeeded in killing him. He stays alive for long enough, right? And maybe I don't know. Maybe he's got a horn or something. I don't know what. Anyway, he, he but like his guys come and uh, come and, uh, and 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 help him, and and he escapes and. Um, we still would have to explain in some sense, I guess, I feel like there would still have to be some explanation why Sauron himself was not directly involved, like why he just left that to Thorin Gwethel. Um, and um, I don't know. Well, one, right, th- one I mean, thing I was thinking with with Omlock, uh what if we, especially if there's a group, what if uh, she has some lackeys? Uh, and that way, that way any, any uh, failures could be blamed on them. <laughs> <laughs> we no, need man. other lesser bad guys to throw under the bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then for and then for Hador, it's like she does that one herself. She's like, okay, this guy, I gotta, I gotta take him out myself. Yeah, you know, I. And so then he looks heroic. I kind of like the idea. So, if this is the first time that we basically do introduce the idea of throwing Gwethel as assassin, basically, like if this is. Almost the. I mean, we've seen her in combat before with giant spider, right? But you know, if this is one of the first times we see her operating in this, like, and when I want to, I am also like stealth ninja woman who can like, you know, kill five people at once. You know, like that. That's I think a fine angle for Thorin Gwethel, like to to emphasize that she is also very personally dangerous. Um, I, I I don't dislike that element of Thorin Gwethel's character because it's going to make I mean, a, a, anything we can do to make her seem better before she gets taken down um, next season is good, right? So um, I kind of like that that element of it. Um, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't I don't I don't think we need lesser bad guys. I think that that would complicate things too much. Um, <laughs> Well, that's 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 apparently my mission tonight. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Just, I mean, that that first scene with Omlock is from Omlock's point of view, not from Theron Grethel's point of view. Right. So the question is, is it scarier if one person comes in and suddenly guys are falling down, or is it scarier if you get jumped by a bunch of people? I if, think it's. I think had, if it's kind of a nice payoff to have her be like if she lures Amlak off in the same kind of way that she lures Hador off later on like it's kind of a good payoff of that later in the episode especially because we'll know like we will have seen what happened to Hador and his people like we will have seen them get like ripped to bloody shreds and like Amlak and maybe his one friend to be an interlocutor who like is like you know limping and uh, you know I'm, I'm imagining Amlak like supporting this one friend as they've like escaped wounded and are staggering off towards creepy forest because it seems their only hope of safety from like ninja death lady uh, who was ambushing them. Um, so, but I'm thinking she still lures them away in the in a similar way that you guys were describing. Like she does like a, a you know a kind like a damsel in distress kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, she calls out and they and, and she would have the you know, she could take on the appearance of, uh, you know, like a, you know, a damsel in distress. Right. You know, she looks like this, you know, 
you know, young lass who is um, in need of help and they're all coming to help her. And then, you know, she like opens up a can. Right. And like takes them all out. Um, that's kind of terrifying, actually. I think that that could that could be really creepy and um, uh, and, and, and work really well. Um and then again, we see her doing the same thing with Hodor because Hodor would totally fall for that, right? Like, a, I mean, Hodor is exactly the kind of hero who would fall for the damsel in distress routine, right? He's also a twenty-one-year-old guy. Exactly. Yeah. For the record, who's been living with a bunch of soldiers for the last three years? Right. Right. So, uh, you're, I mean, you're, you're saying you're saying damsel full stop is sufficient. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I agree with Nick's desire not to have Thuringwethel lure him away uh, with wiles of that sort. Um, it shouldn't be a seduction. I agree. But yeah, that's not how Thuringwethel operates at all. She wouldn't bother with. No, using no. Them. but I it would make him susceptible to the games on distress. The kind of guy who would be like, I'm here to help you, little lady. Yes, <laughs> yes absolutely. <laughs> and she, yeah, yeah, that would be, that would be, he would be easy, easier than Unlock, uh, certainly, uh, in that. Um, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> in fact, I'm almost imagining, uh, I'm imagining this scene now, like I've heard trying to do the damsel in distress thing with Amlock at the beginning. Maybe the reason it doesn't completely succeed is that Amlock is having none of it. Like I'm not, Amlock is like a little bit of a jerk, right? I mean, he's not like the best, most noble character, you know? So maybe he is like, they, they see what it is and then they see, and then they're like, you know, whatever, like, you know, we're not buying, you know? And so like, they're like about to turn and leave. And then she's like, fine. Like, I'll have to kick all of your butts then. Like, you know, plan B, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take you all down right here and now, right? Um, Rather than lure you over there, which is where I, you know, I had this big plan, but fine. Plan B is just to slay you all where you stand. Um, And that's why she does that with Amlach. Uh, Whereas, you know, again, Hador, you know, is gonna go right with her. But then, what, um, what tips him off? Um, um, What, why does he how does it, does he just go like cheerfully with her and then she attacks him or does he resist somehow? I mean, is this uh it's not, I, I think it shouldn't just be a, he's totally suckered in, but then wins the combat. Right. I think it should be, it should not be that. Um, so there would we've have had, to be something. We've had Theron Gwethel deceive Kierden for an extended period of time. And Kierden is one of our wisest characters. She's good at this. Yeah. 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 So she's very good at this. And if Hador had any suspicions, she would probably quickly allay them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, the, yeah, from from my point of view, I don't think Hador's strength is wisdom. It no. might be discernment of hearts on some level, but she, he figures out something's wrong with the situation. Like he has a bad gut feeling about it, mm-hmm. but it's not because she tips him off in some way. Yeah. No, I agree. She can't fail in that way. If, of all the ways that she could fail, that would not, that would be the last way in which she would fail. Um, I guess she could just attack him. Um, I guess she could just attack him. But if... I guess the problem that I'm having is if I'm getting back to the where is Sauron thing, right? Because if she succeeds in luring him away, like... Originally, I was thinking she's luring him towards Sauron, but doesn't get there because he somehow resists, right? 
Um, but uh, but if she succeeds in luring him, why isn't Sauron there? Right? I mean, if they're off in the, I mean, if plan the plan is to put the whammy on him, why 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 have we not proceeded with that plan? Um, there would have to be something that would disrupt the, you know, luring away moment and lead to want, combat. Do we want her to try to put the whammy on him? I mean, we've only seen Sauron and Morgoth do it to this point, but technically she's just as much of a Maiar as yeah. Sauron um, is. We're gonna show... It's later on, right? We haven't done our vampire moment, right? Have we? Anna, right, right. It's in the later episode yeah. where she's going to yeah. um, visit Anil. So yeah, yeah, she has the ability to use this spell. Well, I'm, th- I'm thinking like we might as well, we might as well, um, we might as well set that up a little bit, right? So that we know, I mean, so far all we've seen her do, fight a little bit, but we've, we've just seen her spy and we've seen her shapeshift and, and deceive, Right we don't even know that she can do that. So showing her attempt to do something like this to, um, hot or, um, which by the way, could even be explained by them. That is Sauron and Thorin Gwethel underestimating hot right. Um, in the whole, like we're still kind of underestimating humans sort of mode that so many people are in right at this point. Um, and okay. So, we would need this to be a, if we did that, I, I, I think it, the most sensible thing would be for it to be an explicit setup for what is going on with Anil later on. Um, okay, I'm, so she lures him off a little bit um, with the idea that he's going to help somebody who needs help. Yeah. And so he brings the dragon home with him because he's going to go fight somebody, maybe, yeah. possibly. Yeah, he puts and on his helmet and he's coming, yeah. Right, so she gets him alone. She goes to put the spell on him. At this point, he realizes something's wrong, and so he fights back. But right. she does wound him, and then his guys come and save the day. Right. So everything happened more or less how it was supposed to, except that he was neither whammied nor killed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But if she's gonna lay a whammy on him, like I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell Nick that I'm not sure how this happens in the utter absence of feminine wiles. Like I, 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 I'm, I'm. I'm just saying, like, I kind of think it's going to go there at least a little bit, at least implicitly. Right. I mean, she doesn't have to, like, dress in something slinky, you know, um, uh, and but like she does need to stare into his eyes a bit. There's going to be tension, you know, like it's going to be like, look, uh, there's never been an utter. okay. Apart from Nosferatu, there's never been a totally non-erotic, uh, uh, you know, adaptation of Dracula. And there's a reason for that. Like, it's, it, it's you know, it's kind of there, you know. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Now Nick is suggesting, what if we ditch the luring away entirely and have her just like do the hovering over him while he's sleeping thing to be a more direct parallel to what's going to be going on with Anil. 
So, Nick, instead you're saying your solution to this problem is to have her sneak into his tent at night while he's in bed. This is better, you're saying? Fewer feminine wiles <laughs> being deployed under these circumstances, you're thinking, Nick? Um, uh, okay. Okay. No, I'm with you. I, 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 I'm with you. But I agree. I mean, I agree that that's a more direct, that's a more direct parallel uh, to um, the on-aisle situation. Um. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now Nick is saying it's just like uh, it's you know she's not being a temptress. She just, she she it's just in the eye of the beholder, right? Okay. Right. I agree. So now right. if, yeah. if if we exactly think sneaking into your bedroom at night is totally just a thing that happens. It's exactly. It's just and and it's just like. Get your mind out of the gutter, you know, if you're thinking that her sneaking into the studly 21-year-old guy's tent, um, played by we don't even know whom, right, uh, yet, um, is uh, and, and sneaking into his bed and, like, you know, lingering over him in some kind of slinky way is just, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, just, it's just us. It's just us. Yep. I agree. I mean, it's true. She's not actually tempting him. Like, it's not like she's trying to seduce him. She's not, right? It's not a seduction thing. It's gonna look like it, but it's not gonna be one. Um, okay. Either way, he's alone. She tries to whammy him. He fights back. His guys show up. She leaves. Is the scenario, regardless yeah. of who is tempting who with what and how. Um, if the director decides to frame the scenes and what music is playing in the background, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> right. Right. Maybe we should consult Phil. So Phil, here's the thing, Phil, we need, we, we need a Thoringuethel putting the whammy on dude in his own bed. That does not sound sexy at all. Like that's what we need. We need. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I like do it. We, do we have time for the C plot tonight or no? Well, we probably shouldn't. Uh, mostly because I don't want to be rushing through it. I mean, this is an important moment in the Ale. The Ale and Ardell plot lines is one of the most interesting ones of the whole season, right? And most, like, emotionally complex. As far as, like, most emotionally complex depictions that we're trying to do in the whole season. So I don't want to rush that because this is a really pivotal moment in, um, in their relationship. Okay. So let's, let's save that for the... St- We'll do that at the beginning of next time. Then maybe we can also catch up on the frame. And hey, in fact, maybe we can do like that and then three episodes worth of frame. And then we can uh, continue on with uh, with episode because we're doing episode eight next time. Right. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yes, we are. The Rebellion of the House of Beor, uh, which is less less bloody than the Rebellion of the Noldor, because more benignly led. Um, though, by the way, I, I, I also it's funny that you talk about that here in this slide because I I was also of course thinking about like Hador making his speech before you know the Estelad is also very like Feanor making his speech to the Noldor, right? I mean, it's it's um, there are some there are some strong parallels there just you know but also but uh, you know obviously differences uh as well but it's 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 interesting like this you know hot young charismatic guy who comes fully armed and makes a speech in front of all his people and leads them out on a long journey into danger yeah i mean like we've seen that story before haven't we um 
but of course it's so th- there's an interesting way in which Hador and Andreth are kind of like redeeming that plot line, you know, in, in some ways. I mean, it's, it's really a kind of like what might have been sort of uh, scenario there, which I find really interesting. Of course, it could also um, lead people into, um, you know, being worried about Hador, like <laughs> thinking this is going to end really badly. Which I guess one could argue that it, you know, depending on your definition of ending well or badly. Um, But anyway, it's not going to end the same way. All right. Anyhow, onwards we go. So you can look uh, at the script discussion stuff you can see in the season five, episode eight uh, section of the script discussion forum, as we were showing you before. But anyway, it'll be fun to continue thinking about all this stuff as we move forward. Thanks, everybody, for our... um, uh, as our, our our long and we got really um, fixated on some details here tonight, but that's I think this was this was a really fun one, and I, I can see how difficult it, it, this was to kind of try to frame in the first place, right? I mean, it's uh, there's a, there's a lot going on here, uh, and a lot that needs to be accomplished uh, in this um, in this episode. So um, I can really appreciate that. Anyway. Thanks, everybody. Fun discussion tonight. Uh, And we will see you guys in two weeks' time on the 20th of May uh, for continuing this discussion and starting up Episode 8. So I will say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.